we're renewing after some break uh, of the uh, Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 11, Chapter 21, Explanation of the Vedic Path. We're up to text number 7. We've done the first uh, first uh, six texts. And let me just kind of, uh, in case uh, you've... Uh, forgotten. Let me just go over the, the beginning of this chapter. In fact, I'll just give you a whole soul summary of the whole chapter. This is called uh, Explanation of the Vedic Path. Lord Krishna's Explanation of the Vedic Path. Uh, and uh, another title uh, from Bhandu Swami's tra- translation of Vishnu Chakravarti Thakur's purports, Pros and Cons of Karma Yoga. Because when it's talking about the Vedic path, at least most of the chapter, it's about karma yoga. Uh, and so, uh, in the first, uh, the first uh, text announces the topic uh, of the main topic of the chapter, which is the sense enjoyers, where the Lord says, in answer to a concern of Uddhavas, uh, those people who don't who give up. Uh, devotional service, uh, analytical philosophy, and regulated execution of prescribed duties, and instead cultivate sense gratification, they undergo the continual cycle of material existence. That's what happens to them, those people who aren't really progressive. And then, uh, the next two texts, two and three, deals with the means of proper determination of piety and impiety and so on. The word used for piety is guna, uh, uh, which generally means a good quality. Guna and most generally means a quality, but in the pregnant sense of term, guna here means good quality, and the opposite is dosha, which means a fault. And so uh, uh, Krishna announces uh, here the general uh, position in text 2, which was already stated in the previous chapter, steadiness in one's own position is declared to be actual piety, whereas deviation from one's position is considered impiety. This is the way the two are definitely ascertained. And then he goes on in text 3 to tell Uddhava, in order to understand what is proper in life, one must evaluate a given object within its particular category. Thus, in analyzing religious principles, one must consider purity and impurity. Uh, one uh, ordinary dealings, good and bad, uh, and in matter of physical survival, uh, auspicious or inauspicious. So the same kind of guna and dosha takes on a different cast according to the context whether it's religious activities, ordinary dealing, or kind of emergency conditions, what's good and bad, will shift according to that context. Uh, Then, uh, 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 from uh, 4 to 6, which we've also covered all this, um, uh, 
Krishna says, I revealed this way of life for those bearing the burden of mundane religious principles or for those responsible for establishing religious principles like the manners, depending on how you understand this bearing the burden, uh, whether it's carnies or the, the enforcers or the promulgators of rules. And then he goes on with two, tec- two more texts uh, where he says, talking about what he's revealed, uh, the two things of, of the text five, earth, water, fire, air, and ether are the basic elements that constitute the bodies of all conditioned souls from Lord Brahma down himself down to the non-moving creatures. These elements all emanate from the one personality of Godhead. So he emanates the world. Shridji, sends forth. Shridji is uh, uh, for creation. That's often the word used in the Vedas and it has the sense of sending forth rather than manufacturing to, to emanate. So these are the basic elements and they constitute the bodies. And then he goes on, although the material bodies are composed of the same five elements and are thus one sense equal, the Vedic literature conceives of different names and forms in relationship to such bodies so that the living entities may achieve their goal of life. And this uh, is talking about Varnashram Dharma. Although everyone is equal in one sense, uh, otherwise uh, they have different names and forms in relationship to those bodies, and therefore uh, they are given uh, varieties of instructions and injunctions according to that place. So that brings us up to where we are today. Uh, and starting now, oh, let me just go through the rest of the, just give you a preview of the rest of the chapter. From 7 to 15, the purity, uh, impurity, and purification of place, times, objects, and so on is going to be discussed. Uh, we'll get the purity of desha, place, purity of kala, time. These are all reference to Vedic injunctions. Purity and impurity of objects, uh, dovya, uh, and then how to, the purification of objects takes place. The pure, then the purification of atma in text. We get to text 14. Uh, the person who purifies, and then 15 is the purification of mantra and karma. All these things are discovered, are, are discussed. Then from 16 to 18, uh, the consideration of relativity in considerations of piety and sin. Uh, Sometimes the same thing applies differently for different people. And that will be discussed. Then from 19 to 22, Krishna will discuss the faults of the path of sense gratification. Uh, Shortcomings. And then from 23 to 25, these, these, by the way, are pretty much my own divisions, Some, somewhat inspired by Vishnath Chakravarti Thakur. 23 to 25 are the provisions made by the Vedas for sense enjoyers. Uh, and then an interesting uh, part now, now we're getting away just from, from this narrow consideration of the path of sense gratification. 
and the Karma Kanda section of the Vedas. Uh, from from this point, from 26 to 34, we get a discussion of the inability of sense enjoyers to understand the Vedas. So if you have any familiarity, familiarity with the academic study of religion, you may understand why they don't understand. This is that principle that's discussed here. And then, in the most interesting part of this, to some of this chapter, uh, from 35 uh, all the way to the conclusion, 40, text 43, is a discussion of the exoteric and esoteric features of Vedic sound. Esoteric, that means what's open to the public, uh, and uh, uh, esoteric, what's hidden, secret. That's this chapter. It, go, it take, deals with the Vedas and Vedic sound, and then talks about how uh, sense enjoyers can only appreciate the exoteric feature, but others can see the more interior features of Vedic sound, uh, the potencies, the subtle potencies of Vedic sound. So that's what we're going to cover in this uh, this chapter. I could make my file, which has these, this breakdown available to people. Uh, it took me a while going back and forth to do, to kind of develop this outline. Uh, but uh, so that that's what this is about. So now we are starting with uh, 17, which is the beginning of a of a of a section dealing with purity and impurity and purification of place, times, and objects. Some of which will already be familiar to us from instructions given to us by Srila Prabhupada. So seven. Uh, I'll chant this text. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya So seven goes Deshakaladi Bhavanam Vastunam mamma sattama unna doshao vidhiyete niyamartam ikarmanam. So uh, this is translated. Uh, um, uh, o saintly Uddhava, in order to restrict materialistic activities, I have established that which is proper and improper uh, uh, among all material things, including time, space, and all physical objects. So this is a very straightforward verse. Uh, he begins with uh, desha, space, kala, time, uh, adi, and so on. Bhavanam of states of existence, or and vastunam of things. Uh, these are established at the end of the deity are established. Uh, 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 mama, I mean, according to guna and dosha, uh, which is here translated as. Piety and sin in the word word for word, 
but in the running translation, proper and improper, according to context. Uh, uh, and these are established niyama artha hi karmanam. For the niyama restriction, uh, yama and niyama, you remember the beginning of the yoga uh, angas, and uh, generally yama means what you do and niyama means what you don't do. This is the general sense, the do's and the don'ts. So here niyama artha. Artha here means for the sake of, uh, for the purpose of uh, restriction of karma. Karma meaning pious, fruitive activities. If, you're, if they're restricted according to the injunction of the scripture, then that is uh, mundane piety. So that, that's, uh, that's what, what's here. And there's a long purport in the BBT edition. The word niyamarta, in order to restrict, uh, is significant in this verse. Uh, a conditioned soul falsely identifies with his material senses and thus considers anything giving immediate satisfaction to the body to be good and anything inconvenient or disturbing to be bad. We've seen that. I think that's well-known fact. Huh? By higher intelligent, one recognizes long-term self-interest and danger this, this happens in childhood many times. Uh, your, your immediate self-interest upon eating is maybe to go do something fun and your parents make you brush your teeth. You don't understand why you have to go through this bother, bothersome and often inconvenience and even difficult routine uh, that interrupts your pleasure, but they know your young, long-term interest will best be served by your having healthy teeth that last a long time. If the parents are just, oh, yeah, do whatever you want, then you'll curse them later on when your teeth start falling out at a young age. That, that's, this is so there's, these things are there. Long-term self-interest and danger. That requires some foresight and some intelligence. What intelligence does is, re, is overrides the, the mind, the tendency of the mind is to is to just accept and reject in terms of immediate sense gratification. That's the way it does it. But intelligence, buddhi, here they're using the word in a very specific way. Buddhi means that some higher uh, knowledge. Here, really, the, the first people that, that give you some intelligence are the parents, typically. That's their job. They are therefore the representatives of the super soul in a way. The, the mother is called the Adiguru uh, uh, for this reason. They, they override this, the, uh, uh, the immediate sense gratification so you can, gain, uh, you can engage in long-term goal-directed activities. Uh, 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 and here they give the example. Medicine may be immediately bitter. So you want to spit it out. 
But by calculating one's long-term interest, one accepts the bitter medicine to cure the disease that is not immediately troublesome but ultimately fatal. Or just if you're a child, you have to take it even though you don't want to. go, no, you have to take this. No, okay, it tastes awful. You know, your, your, your parents override. Then you internalize it. Uh, it becomes part of your own makeup so that you become a disciplined human being so that in spite of it's a cold day and the bed is warm, you get up and go to school. You don't have to be reminded anymore, so on. So in the same way, it says here, Vedic literature restricts the sinful propensities of human beings by establishing what is proper and what is improper among the objects and activities of the material world. That's this regulated, restricted uh, sense enjoyment. And then they give examples. I won't go through them. Food in the mode of goodness, avoiding meat, fish, and eggs. Uh, to live in a peaceful and pious community, not in association with sinful persons. One of the big restrictions of many of us in childhood is our parents not in wanting us to play with certain children and encouraging us to play with other children because they would see sometimes there's good influences and bad influences. Stay away from those boys. And we sometimes the bad people are more interesting <laughs> than the good people. So there's a, a conflict, you know. Uh, so in this way, uh, by designating and restricting the exploitation of the material world, Vedic knowledge gradually be brings a conditioned soul to the platform of material goodness. That's the idea. At that stage, one becomes eligible to serve the Supreme Personality of Godhead. That's a fact. Because if we read in, 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 the, in the Bhagavad Gita that knowledge depends upon sattva, goodness. This is now a lost esoteric fact. And the knowledge industries in America are not based on sattva. It's, it's the kind of knowledge that, uh, uh, that is good for tradesmen, for making things, for manufacturers. Uh, uh, so it's mode of passion and mode of ignorance. But actual knowledge depends upon sattva. So if you want to understand why so much of, uh, of, of spiritual knowledge is unavailable for, for us, for most people, is because they cannot, they don't have the brain to understand it. And so this is the goal, to bring people to that level. Why have they imposed this restriction on us? All our traditional religions and moralities all over the world, they at least have restricted sense gratification. Why? Why this? Well, it must be that, our, that, our, that our, uh, these ancient old people, these nasty old patriarchs, envious of the happiness of young people, have out of envy and spite imposed these soul-killing, life-killing, life-denying restrictions upon us. That's what people think. Listen, now we are the age of freedom. Let's set them aside and enjoy a life of full sense gratification. That's modern world. So we have a lot to do to compete. People said there might be good reasons to do otherwise, without being fanatics, without being uh, dogmat, dogmatists, but by actually having some understanding of why they are there. When our parents said, why I should do this, because I say so, 
we sometimes feel that's not a sufficient reason. And similarly, others were all authorities said, because I say so, but there's, we should understand the reason for these things, and that's what we have here in the, in the Bhagavatam. Instead of just the pronouncing of thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, and that was okay in a day when authorities were respected, but that's also eroded uh, uh, with time. So, uh, it's noted here in the, the purport, it should be remembered that such mere such eligibility, even now you're in the mode of being, you're eligible to understand the Vedas. Uh, he said this mere eligibility does not constitute actual qualification. See, something has to happen. Without Krishna consciousness, mere mundane piety can never qualify a conditioned soul to go back home, back to Godhead. Krishna consciousness, there's something else added, that mundane piety doesn't qualify. There has to be the mercy of a devotee. That's how we get bhakti. It's given. What the mundane goodness is, it can help us to accept. I mean, there's, something can be given and you may, you know, refuse it. No way. Or something may be given and you'll receive it gratefully with open hands. There's something on your side. Sometimes there's a debate that maybe somebody will like grab your hands and open them up and hold them. And <laughs> to what extent that may happen is something else again. But, but uh, th- th- you do have some freedom. Uh, uh, they point out, within this world we are all infected by false pride which must be diminished through submission to the Vedic injunctions. That's one thing. By, by, by uh, accepting the Vedic injunctions and following them, you become used to obeying the Vedas. Uh, uh, now it says, one who is completely engaged in the loving service of the Lord need not adopt these preliminary methods. Yeah, you can. Through mercy goes straight to that, although you find out that if you if you become engaged in loving service of the Lord, many of these things will go along automatically. If we only eat food that is offered to Krishna, then automatically you're a vegetarian, no need to make an extra, extra effort. So, so, so many things are included to that. Uh, uh, so, and because it mentions that... that uh, one who's engaged has direct contact. He directly contacts the personality of God to, to the spontaneous process of surrender. I know, easier said than done. But that's the ideal. Then it says, in the previous verse, the Lord explained why Vedic literatures assign different values to bodies of different living entities. We went through that already. And here the Lord explains the Vedic value system in regard to material objects that interact with these bodies. So that's the consideration of these different things, desha, place or space. Uh, uh, so here now the next text, the eighth text, text, discusses the purity of desha, the purity of place. How do you know whether a place is pure or impure? 
So it says here, a Krishna Saro Deshanam, Abramanyo Suchir Bharet, Krishna Saro Yasovira, Tikatam Samskriterinam. So this is about, among places, a Krishna Sara. Now, the word Krishna Sara, we'll talk about this a little bit, is the spotted antelope. It's the name of an animal, Krishna Sara. And so among places, those that are a Krishna Sara without the spotted antelope. We'll go back to that later, so you won't be mystified about that. Uh, uh, that's, that is a, now it said these are the list of the impure places, the contaminated places, the places that do not have this animal roaming around wild. It's a wild animal, a mirda, a wild animal. That's uh, 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 improper uh, place. Abramanya where there is no devotion to the Brahmanas. Second place. That's where we all live, most of us, huh? huh? <laughs> Abramanya. Asuchihi uh, is contaminated. Uh, those are the places. Uh, then... Uh, Krishna Sara Api, but even those that have the spotted antelope, even Asavirya, if it does not have men, people who are Savirya, which which means that uh, 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 here translated as saintly cultured men. Uh, uh, Suvira comes from Suvira. Vira is a, uh, is a, is a, a, a man, and Su is good man. Uh, according to the dictionary, this is the name of a people inhabiting a district in the neighborhood of the Indus. That's the way it shows up in the Mahabharata, anyway. Uh, uh, so, so there may be a place that has the spotted antelope but there are impure, uh, uh, but there are no uh, 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 pure men. So that's a cultured, insanely cultured people. Uh, 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 and then Pitaka, uh, which is a, um, um, uh, <laughs> in the word for word, a place of low-class men, such as the state of Gaya, <laughs> uh, and uh, Kikata, uh, uh, according to the dictionary, is uh, uh, they give it as uh, the name of a people not belonging to the Aryans, a race, uh, and so on. Uh, so some some people who are on Arya, uh, and then. Uh, uh, and then uh, uh, then it goes on to say uh, 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 places which are un- asamskrita, 
the samskritta, the purificatory ceremonies or rites, uh, those, those kind of places. Iranam, uh, and where the land is barren, that is to say where you can't grow crops. Uh, so the, the running translation, among places, those bereft of the spotted antelope, those devoid of devotion to the brahmanas, those possessing spotted antelopes but bereft of respectable men, provinces, provinces like Kikata, and places where cleanliness and purificatory rites are neglected, Asamskrita, where meat eaters are prominent, uh, or where the earth is barren, are all considered to be contaminated lands. That's the running translation. Uh, uh, so, uh, so this, this uh, Krishna Sara, here the spotted antelope, uh, the, the word Krishna, you know, is black. When you say Krishna Sara, the word Sara here means chiefly black, or maybe black and white. Krishna Sara is also a name for the eye with a, with a you know, the black uh, middle part, the dark middle part, and the white in the end. So there's a, this is the, the, it's, the dictionary says Krishna Sara, uh, there's uh, uh, the spotted antelope, or sometimes it occurs, Krishna Sara Mriga. Uh, now the word Mriga uh, is in general the name for a wild animal. Like we have the story of Midrari the hunter. Mriga are the enemy of the Mrigas. Uh, the enemy of the animals. But Mriga becomes to be a deer. I'm just a synonym for deer. And there's no distinction at least in Prabhupada's vocabulary and many people in India, between what we would now call an antelope and a deer. So this, this, this Krishna Sara, this spotted antelope, uh, is, is, is uh, in brahmacharis in the Vedic system, they would wear a top piece made of the skin of the, 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 the spotted antelope. And this, 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 this animal is known to us in the Bhagavatam, in the 5th canto, 8th chapter, with the story of Bharat Maharaj, who falls in love with what's called a deer, uh, a baby deer, a fawn, which is actually, if you look at the Sanskrit, the spotted antelope. Uh, uh, so, in, 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 the, in the text 5823, Bharat Maharaj is lamenting his lost pet. Remember, he saved it. A doe, a pregnant doe, leapt away from the bank of a river, been frightened by a growling tiger, and left the little baby about to be born on the ground, and he rescued it. He performed charitable activities uh, to save the animals and took it home and then promptly fell in love with it. This is a whole chapter about the dangers of pet ownership. And so when he was lamenting this lost pet, and in this verse, 5A23, it's Krishna Sara Tanaya, the calf, Tanaya, baby of the Krishna Sara. So there it's completely identified, and this is the animal. It's a Krishna Sara. There's here the spotted antelope, uh, which is how they translate it here, which is the, the, the 
the dictionary definition. So he says, here's what Bharat Maharaj says, by these footprints, now the, the, the deer is gone, he can't find the baby, but he's looking at the little footprints. By these footprints, this land has become a proper place for brahmanas who desire heavenly planets or liberation to execute sacrifice to the demigods. You see? So that's it. Wherever those footprints are, that's the land where you can perform sacrifice. So we know about this. If we didn't know, we knew. <laughs> that's what it is. Because then Prabhupada comments in his purport, he says, it is said in the Smriti Shastra, Yasmin Deshe Mriga Krishnas Tasmin Dharmanam Ihodhata. Quote, that tract of land wherein the footprints of a black deer, same thing, can be seen is unto be under, can be seen is to be understood as a suitable place to execute religious rituals. So that's that's why this is mentioned here as one of the, the, the places. It's in the Vedas and uh, Prabhupada quotes the Smriti Shastra to that effect. Uh, Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur comments on this verse. First, pure and impure objects are described in eight verses. That's from 6 to 13. Then once in a while he clumps them, gives us little elements of an outline, or, uh, topics, grouping up topics. Among places, he says, any place devoid of the spotted antelope is impure. A place where there are no persons respecting brahmanas is most impure. Even if the place has spotted antelope, if there are dishonest kikatas, many persons who are unclean like malechas, or if the place has deserts, it is impure. Uh, Osavir means a place of good men. And then he mentions, if the place is inhabited by kikatas who are not upright, it is impure. If the place has righteous kikatas, it is pure. It adds this. Mostly kikatas are unrighteous. So, but if there are righteous kikatas, okay. So we can see that means us kikatas, I am assuming the wide sense of the term uh, as an honorian by birth, we could change this place <laughs> uh, in, in that way. Uh, uh, now there's a long, uh, kind of interesting, uh, an interesting purport here. Uh, he mentions the word Krishnasara refers to the spotted antelope whose hide is used by brahmacharis while residing in the ashram of the spiritual master. And then they go on to say that this, they don't hunt for the skin, but you know when an animal is dead, they, they, they take it. Uh, the skin of the black, black or spotted antelope is also used as a garment by those receiving instructions in the execution of Vedic sacrifice. Therefore, since sacrifices cannot be properly performed in areas bereft of such creatures, those places are impure. Uh, and furthermore, although the inhabitants of such a particular place may be expert in performing fruitive activities and ritualistic sacrifices, if they are inimical to the devotional service of the Lord, 
such places are also polluted. Srila Bhaktisiddhanta says what Itakur explains, uh, that previously the providences, provinces of Bihar and Bengal, the land of the Kikatas, were bereft of devotional service to the Lord and were considered uh, impure. Then great Vaishnavas such as Jayadeva appeared in those territories, converting them into uh, holy places. I'm skipping ahead a little bit. We've covered a lot of this. Kikatas referred to the modern state of Bihar, which traditionally has been known as a territory of uncivilized men. Even today, it's rather noted among the states of India for being extremely corrupt. Not that I have anything against Biharis, but that's just the general reputation. Uh... Asamskrita indicates a lack of external cleanliness as well as the absence of purificatory ceremonies for internal cleanliness. They quote Madhvacharya, uh, quoting from the Skanda Purana, religious persons should reside within an eight-mile radius of rivers, oceans, mountains, hermitages, forests, spiritual cities, or places where the Shalagam Shila is found. All of the places should be considered kikata, or contaminated. Uh, and he goes on, but even if in such contaminated places black and spotted antelopes are found, one may reside there as long as sinful persons are not also present. Even if sinful persons are present, the, if the civil power rests with respectable authorities, one may remain. Similarly, one may dwell where the deity of Vishnu is duly installed and worshipped. How Prabhupada established temples in America was to create these pure places. Uh, so, now, you will go on. Uh, next, after discussing considerations of purity and place, I remember mostly this verse is talking about these verses are talking about karma conduct regulations in the Vedas, and we can see how some of them are incorporated into the principles of, of devotional service. We're already running low on time, but uh, this one will be pretty quick, I think. Purity of kala, time. Karmanyo gunavan kalo, dovyataha svatta evava, yato nivaratate karman. A specific time is considered pure. So that sometimes are pure and sometimes some periods of time are pure and some periods of time are impure. Uh, a specific time is considered pure when it is appropriate, either by its own nature or through achievement of suitable paraphernalia for the performance of one's prescribed duty. That time which impedes the performance of one's duty is considered impure. So the word here, karmanya, uh, suitable for exercising one's prescribed duties. And that's literally what it means, proper or fit for any act, karmanya. Suitable for a religious action, says the dictionary. So that's karmanya there. Uh, Vishnu Chakravarti says, Purity and impurity of time is shown. 
a time suitable for performance of karmas, meaning prescribed duties, is pure. The time becomes suitable the moment materials are obtained. If, if you get what you need to perform your, your ritual, then the time is considered auspicious. Sometimes are pure by nature, such as forenoon. A time is impure which impedes action. If you can't perform the, the thing, it doesn't work, then you consider, okay. Uh, then he says, uh, for instance, after a child is born in a family, the time considered improper, the time is considered improper performing rites. So there are certain events that make a time pure or I- impure. Uh, 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 here they say in the in the BBT purport, certain times such as the Brahma Muhurta the last few hours before sunrise are always auspicious for spiritual advancement. That's a naturally pure uh, time. Other times not auspicious in themselves become so by the achievement of material prosperity that facilitates one's mission in life. Uh, uh, That's when it says dovyata, when you achieve whatever you need, then that will be, if it's, otherwise it's an ordinary time. It becomes an auspicious time. Uh, political, social, or economic disturbances that obstruct the execution of one's religious duties are considered inauspicious times. Uh, uh, very difficult, you know. We can't get the, we, you know, we can't get even pure milk. We can't, so many things are bad. Uh, then they mention a woman is considered contaminated just after childbirth or during her menstrual period. She cannot perform ordinary religious activities at such times, which are therefore inauspicious or impure. So those times also are, are, are certain impure times. They quote Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur that the most auspicious of all times is the moment one achieves the mercy of the Supreme Personality of Godhead. Uh, uh, that, that if, if you don't have that and you're carried away by sense gratification then the time has become inauspicious no matter what it, it is and then uh, uh, but if you achieve the mercy of the Supreme Lord and the association of the Supreme Lord of the Lord's devotees then that is your most auspicious time uh, so that's that's the discussion there. And now, now I think we have to. I thought we get a little uh, further. Uh, the next group of texts, which we'll, we will now take up uh, with text number uh, ten uh, next week. Let me just mark this. My notes here. We will then through ten through thirteen. Uh, that whole section will be about, well, first, uh, the purity and impurity of, of objects, uh, and then, uh, 12, uh, then uh, 10 and 11, and then 12 and 13 will be about the purification of objects. Uh, so that, that's, that's the next section. 
and then talk about the purification of atma, the person who purifies, purification of mantra and karma. That's that's what's coming up. Okay, so that's our four ways. Yeah, I think this stuff is interesting. You know, I mean, it's there. Uh, Krishna Krishna takes his last moments on earth with with Uddhava to discuss these things. So we we should also uh, discuss them uh, and uh, try to understand them so we can appreciate the whole uh, the whole uh, effort of, of, of the Lord to uh, to make human life progressive and uh, also understand our own position in relationship uh, to all of that so now we will go to a time for anybody uh, who wants to I, I will switch uh, the conference call um, uh, go into the, the Q&A mode uh, for the conference. There, it started. Now it does it automatically. And then we will also... So, so if, if you're calling in, uh, I'm going to take my phone and put it on, uh, on uh, this... this uh, is on, so we can hear you here. Let me turn the volume up also. Need to yes, it's up all the way, and then so everyone in the studio audience can hear you, and we can relate also people who are in on UStream and UStream followers can uh, key in, uh, type in uh, any questions or comments you have, and they'll be conveyed orally to all of us here. Okay, any questions or comments? Okay, Kendra asks, um, if a place has desert, is it, it is, if a place has desert, it is impure. Is it so oceanfront communities? Question mark. Goes on. Is there any land nowadays that's not uh, of, co- of course, deserts become livable. Never mind the ocean front. Think of all of Arizona. <laughs> and the only only way you 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 can you can uh, have things in, in these places like 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 barren regions like that. Uh, how can you be a vegetarian? Well, we do so by by modern transportation and things like that, and so we go there. But they're not naturally the places. If we were to practice, try to practice Krishna consciousness, without without utilizing uh, the, the the current system of food distribution and everything, we couldn't live there. It'd be very very difficult. Follow the principles of Krishna consciousness because of the lack of many things, including water. Actually, it's going to be very difficult for anybody to live there uh, in that way. So under modern circumstances, we just, we just have to, we have, we have, we have, we have a, a system that, that we, we, we accept the things that are favorable for Krishna consciousness and reject the things that are unfavorable. 
Now, sometimes we go into bad places in order to spread Krishna consciousness. Prabhupada went to Moscow. He had one person with him, and they had trouble finding stuff to eat. The only thing that was available anywhere was meat. And just to find some rice or something to, to eat was, was really difficult at that time in the Soviet Union. Was it an inauspicious place? Well, he could perform devotional service. He was able to, he was going uh, as part of the Moscow Book Fair, which had some of his books there, uh, and he was able to, to make a devotee. And that devotee was the seed that was planted that gradually spread Krishna consciousness all over. So by the presence, there are people like Srila Prabhupada, and we others can be the same way, who just by being there can make the place auspicious because it comes an opportunity for devotional service. So, in, in a way, these are, these are good guidelines to use, but, but for, for spreading Krishna consciousness, uh, we, we, may have, we may have to ignore some of these because of, a, of some, the more overriding principle. If you can practice Lord Chaitanya's movement there somehow or other, then it's auspicious. So when Prabhupada went to New York City in 1965, that was not in many ways an auspicious place, was it? Ramananda has a question on the phone. Yeah, I'll hold it up. Okay, we don't have to hold it up. Okay. Go ahead. Hi, Krishna. Please set my humble obeisances. I, I think that you may have already answered the question, uh, but I'll just go ahead and an ask it anyway. Um, I know years ago I used to go to um, uh, Joshua Tree National Park. I don't know if you're there. It's a desert in California. And uh, I was thinking how, boy, it seems like the mode of goodness here. And now even where we live in Hawaii, Volcano National Park, it's, uh, a lot of it is desolate. But just being away from people, I feel it's like in the mode of goodness. Any comment? Um, this brings up an interesting point, actually, now that I think of it. Uh, um, it may seem, yeah, because because it's, it's desolate, you don't see the modes of passion and the modes of ignorance because those people are not there. Of course, when they all come for the Burning Man Festival or whatever else, it changes radically, uh, I guess. Uh, but you know, ser seriously, when when the when the uh, maybe the sages go to the remote regions of the Himalayas, they are obviously beyond the karmakanda activities of the Vedas. They can't perform sacrifice. They can't do any of those ritualistic activities. Uh, and, but going up into the, 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 the fastness of the Himalayas, which uh, they're, they're holy mountains, so they're, they're sacred places, but nevertheless... They're kind of like a place where crops won't grow, and you, you certainly can't perform a sacrifice there. 
but you can you're, you're you're on a more advanced level of transcendence. So if you're on the more advanced level of transcendence, you can take advantage of those places. They also didn't eat. You know, if you wanted to live up in the upper regions of the Himalayas, you know, you 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 had to be an expert at fasting. And, uh, you know, you wouldn't catch rabbits or snails or whatever, you know, kind of spiders to live on, I, I assume, but that, that, but that, that you were austere enough that, that you could somehow live through the, 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 at least the hard season, winter seasons, without, without uh, just on your own tapas somehow. I don't know how they did it, but they, they did. So that that's a di- that's a different consideration. But those are the examples of of advanced people, uh, and of, of course, um, in, in more Western spiritual traditions, it was uh, the 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 uh, uh, saintly persons would go live in the desert, uh, and you had these saints who just found an old pillar from a ruin and just sat on the pillar and was not uh, and they lived on wild honey and uh, and locusts apparently apparently the locusts are not the, the winged creatures that fly but the locust being or some some kind of some kind of being you know they lived on what little was available in the desert uh, to keep body and soul together so that 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 that's sometimes a tradition for saintly persons to go to go out and to to uh, to get to get to get away from, from the, the ordinary activities of materialistic people, and they tried to go to some place where even followers wouldn't reach them. We have we have our famous uh, uh, um, um, Gorgeshwaras Babaji. Who, who would go and chant in the place where people would pass stool? Because uh, a dirty, filthy place, uh, so he wouldn't be really bothered by other people, and people would not think he was a saintly person because he was living in a dirty place. Uh, and, and then, then uh, when he was still attracting a feature, he somehow uh, put on a what's described as a as a as a, a twenty-five rupee. Silk Shantipur dhoti. That's when 25 rupees was a lot of money, I suppose, uh, before inflation, uh, or before a lot of inflation. And people, in other words, it was the clothes of a very rich man. And they say, oh, look, he has that expensive dhoti. He must, he must not be renounced after all. And then they, they would leave him alone. <laughs> that, was, that, was, that was his t- different tactics, you know. <laughs> Anything else? Thank you. Okay. You're welcome. Um, One more question, but I got caught up. So maybe anybody here have any questions? Wait for the question to come in on the.
Dinesh, I can only see half of your question here, but I'll go ahead and read the first part. So Dinesh says, I remember in the Ramayan, when Lakshman comes across a place, he feels bad even to serve the Lord through the influence of that place. This is, what is the position of conditioned souls? Ah, like me living in dirty places. <laughs> yeah, well, I understand it's difficult. Uh, and... Uh, and uh, if Lakshman found a place that it was unsuitable for him, he couldn't serve the Lord. Uh, we live in uh, probably much worse places. Um, at any rate, uh, Prabhupada brought Krishna consciousness here, and somehow or other it's, it's going on. Uh, we, we, we do not live in a, in, a, in a society that's conducive to Krishna consciousness, and that, that's our challenge. Uh, and, and because the first thing we need is association of devotees, and we have to avoid the association of non-devotees if it's going to 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 uh, accustom us or lure us into into uh, uh, unfavorable activities for the advancement of Krishna consciousness. That's a fact. That's the conditions we are we are in now, and we're only hoping. The Prabhupada's hoping was. We describe Krishna consciousness as a as a cultural movement for the re-spiritualization of the entire human society. Well, let's hope that's that's not impossible. That it can be re-spiritualized. I believe it will. Uh, it'll be easier the more people take Krishna consciousness. The sooner they do it, the easier it'll be. But I think it's going to happen one way or another. His comment reminds us for Prabhupada and disciples of Srila Prabhupada is different, but for someone fallen like me, I'm living in a place, Omaha, Nebraska, where there's no contact in the U.S. Uh, well, uh, you have to, for good association, then it's a little harder because you don't have anyone there possible to, to interact with. Uh, and uh, all I can suggest you do is like you're doing now by using modern media you can relate to uh, devotees in different ways you know, through something like Ustream and there are Mangalartis all over the place and things like that and, and uh, we have Prabhupada's books for good association and, and one can take advantage of it and you can pray to Krishna I mean, one way to get devotee association is to make a devotee. <laughs> Bring someone to the platform of Krishna consciousness, and then you have someone to sit around. First of all, you have to set a good example for them, so that'll make you be better. <laughs> and, and, and you will have, have to do things. So if you pray to Krishna, what can I do in my condition to advance in Krishna consciousness, I think you will get an answer. If Krishna thinks that you'll actually do what he suggests, you'll find out, and it won't be so subtle. That's my experience. You can do something. Like Kendra added, at least he lives in a place that has the sacred symbol Om in it. Okay, there you go. <laughs> um, oh, uh. <laughs> Good. Now you know it's a holy place. Om. <laughs> That's funny. The sacred syllable Om. 
You'll have to rename it Omkara. Huh? <laughs> Omkara, Nebraska. Once a sinful place and now a holy place. By the appearance of devotees there. Okay, your wife has a question on phone. Yeah, Yeah, I was just thinking, like, when it describes the places to live, it gives some things that you can actually, you know, not all of it. It's like passive. Like it says, um, to to perform the sacrifice, it's auspicious time, I guess, more than place. Like when you have all the ingredients. So, but it, it seems like if people have a choice, they can live. Um, where it's close to where they can work without it being a big hassle, you know, like rather than you live someplace and then you have to commute for an hour and a half each way, you know, mm-hmm. so that you have you have some funds, some means to do your sacrifice. However, That's a good point. And then, yeah, and then the other point I wanted to make is it's talking about wherever there's a deity, and, and of course you can always installation of, of Panchatapa or even Gorni Tide isn't. It's just you just have them and. And and so so it makes it an auspicious place um, just by having the deity. Yeah, those are good points. So 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 first of all, you can organize your life so you have time for Krishna consciousness by by various ways of, of just in, not spending all the time in traffic jams or whatever. Uh, which is de- definitely not an auspicious place because you're usually angry and upset. Uh, and then the, the, the other thing is, is this was Prabhupada especially saying that Gorni Thai are installed deities simply by putting them somewhere. That installs them. There's no need for a ceremony or ritual. You just said a Pansatatra picture or Gorni Thai is the same thing. And Prabhupada actually had this idea uh, of uh, box sets of Gornitai deities to kind of distribute to everybody on the street, you know, uh, because because this is the merciful Kali Yuga avatar, uh, avatar that's made to come into these kind of places where deities cannot really be installed uh, uh, without a great deal of difficulty and trouble. Uh, so those are both, I think, very very good points about making the place auspicious. And uh, as I said, my, my firm belief is that if we, we, whatever difficulty we find ourselves in, if we just resolve on becoming Krishna conscious and take just whatever the next step is at, at hand and take it, you'll see an uh, avenue opens up and obstacles go away and, and, and Krishna as the super soul gives us all facility, even though there, there's so many different impediments that seem to be insurmountable, they will go away. And Prabhupada himself is the best example of this. Gail has a question on the phone. Hare Krishna, Gail. Hare Krishna, Maharaj. <coughs> yeah, even you brought up this um, topic of installing deities. <coughs> I want to like try to lay this one to rest once and for all. You know what? What criteria has to be met? To, to consider a deity installed? Well, generally, uh, uh, for Panchatattva, just what we said. Uh, for other, other deities, there, there has to be a, 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 
you know, usually there's an installation ceremony, uh, and you 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 uh, agree uh, to release a certain amount of regularity. I mean, temple deities is one thing, but people have other deities in their homes. But it, it's it's if you have home deities like Radha Krishna deities at home or Jagannath deities at home, they really should be should be treated with something a little more. Uh, uh, regular than you would with with Panchatattva. Uh, uh, so Domini is one to ask more about this than I am. She, she she's on the phone right now, ready to come, and probably probably can tell you more about about other installing other deities in, in your home. But well, uh, in the in, yeah in the. Um Seventh canto, I think it's in the third third part of the seventh canto, Prabhupada talks about installing deities, but then he also talks about, he uses the term the deity in the box. And he says that whatever form of deity you're attracted to, you know, whether it's Sita Ram, Radha Krishna, Jagannath Balaram, Subhadra, you can also have a nice box for them, and you can take them out, and, you know, carefully worship them and then put them back in the box. It's not the same as installed. They don't have, they might not necessarily be on an altar all the time. You, you, you're, but, but he did give some facility for that, uh, especially if you didn't live near a temple. Installation, once deities are installed, um, then there has to be, um, like my husband was saying, like, some regularity to it. It's a different situation, but with but with Panchatapa, which is the deity for this age, the painting. There's no rules and regulations necessarily. It's obviously, when there has to be devotion, and Gornitai function the same way. They don't have to be installed, and they don't have to keep going back in a box either. <laughs> I, I can't. I don't know the verse exactly. I'd have to have the book in front yeah, of me. Yeah, I, I just I just typed Gidi in a box, and uh, there's a Back to Godhead magazine from '94 by Rohini Nandana writing on on deity worship at home. Uh, did you find Did you find in the seventh canto part three? I haven't. Like, no, that's that's that, yeah. One one, that one, one one poor part. But it may be seventh yeah. canto part one. I can't remember now. I have to find it. But he but, says, Srila Prabhupada said that one can adjust deity worship at home to the requirements of the individual family. He described how sometimes a person may keep a deity in a box and bring him out only to worship him and or feed him. Mm-hmm. Uh, he just mentions that, which you said too. I, I have to find out where it is, though. But what is, what is the, the difference in terms of, um, I don't know, should I say, Krishna's presence when it comes to an installed versus uninstalled deity? Is he more present, you know, in an installed deity than one in the box, or what? Um, I don't think of it as more or less. It depends on the devotee. Uh, uh, and, and so... Uh, the 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 um, yeah I, I don't I, I, I don't 
Here's here's Prabhupada says in a lecture here. I don't see either showing up in the in the seventh canto in that, that way. At least in the search I did. Because Krishna can, well 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 he also he did he did say that the installed deities in the temple they generally have much more potency. Um, but then you if you get into an individual thing, I mean, would the the small little deities that Prabhupada had in his room not be as potent as, you know, yeah, something else. Yeah, you know, that's the thing. Doesn't it depend but, on the... But, gener- but, but that's the exceptions rather than the rule. The potency uh-huh. of the temple deities where um, it's different than in a household where you're worshiping the deity and you're offering him what you're going to eat rather than um, it's, it's based on what the needs of the household are. But the section about having the deity... You can choose not just Gornitai and how uninstalled. It's just in a purport um, in the seventh canto, and I'll, I'll look it up when I get home. Let me, let me read something. This is from a lecture that Prabhupada gave in Honolulu on July 4th, 74. He says, uh, he says, deity worship is required, at least in the earlier stages of Krishna consciousness. Meaning, if there is no temple, you can keep a small deity in a small box and open it. After taking bath, sitting down, you can offer him little patram pushpam palam toyam. Little you can offer. Little water. Where is the difficulty? Deity worship. You can worship deity anywhere also. In a small box, you can keep the deity. After taking bath, you offer something. If you have nothing to offer, offer a little toasty leaf or any leaf. The real thing is whether you are a lover and devotee. Then Krishna will accept anything you offer. So there's where he mentions this idea of doing something at home in a box. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then Hold on. God is going to read something from 319.24 per port. By his inconceivable potency, the Lord can become a universal form, as explained in the Bhagavad Gita. But at the same time, he can remain within the box of his devotees as their worshipful deity. There are many devotees who keep a statue of the Lord in a small box and carry it with them everywhere. Every morning, they worship the Lord in the box. The Supreme Lord, Keshav, the personality of Godhead, Krishna, is not bound by any measurement of our population. He can remain with his devotee in any suitable form, that he is un- unapproachable by any amount of Well, okay, there's another place where he mentions the deity in the box. Uh-huh. Yeah, but I couldn't hear so well. Where was she reading from? 319.24. Yeah, and and also one thing uh, Mother Dominique mentioned, that, you know, the, the deity in the temple is considered to be generally more potent but that sounded a little strange to me because <clears throat> it made it sound as though, you know, Krishna's manifestation was a little bit mechanical, you know. So, like, supposing somebody at home worships their picture with more devotion than the pujaris in a temple, why would he be more potent in the temple than in that devotee's home? For well, that, in that case, if this person at home worshiped with more devotion than pujari in the temples, it would be more potent, but the idea of the deity installed in the temple is there's a team of people who the, their main thing is worshiping the Lord. 
When you have a deity in the temple where it's properly worshipped, that means there's a whole group of people who have made that deity worship their main thing. Everything else they do is secondary. And the Lord reciprocates with that devotion. If the pujaris in the temple are proper, then the Lord is receiving all this attention as the main thing. And therefore, and also the, the people that worship the, uh, do so in the temple, do so on behalf of the whole congregation. And so they get that, because they, if they support the pujaris and support the temple, they also get the mercy because it's undivided attention, where the deity at home is one thing among many. It's not the main thing for most people. If it is the main thing, then fine. The Lord reciprocates. And also, um, am I unmuted? <laughs> yeah, you, you, I, I can I think you. I, I think I used the wrong word. I shouldn't use the word potency. I think the word that I remember, it was more powerful, just like he was explaining, because the, this, the, and also the size makes a difference. Powerful um, and potent, they sound but, synonymous to me. They seem close, but potency could mean, well, is if, then there's also impotent deity, which was, would be wrong, so more powerful, I would say, and that's because it is it's a whole group activity in which people are making sure that the Lord's home is beautiful, that the home is, is clean and taken care of. He gets food. He's offered food that I, I may be cooking, but I may not be even going to be eating it. You know what I mean? Like where most people don't offer a lot of food at home that, that's, that they don't even know who's going to eat it or that's, that's not something that they agrees with them. And then, and it's a group activity. And then when deities first became popular, Prabhupada said before somebody has their own deity, they should first worship the temple deity for seven years. He was encouraging us to worship the deity in the temple as a group activity because it's much more difficult to worship alongside other people. It's always easier to just have your own deity and just do it your own way. Um, maybe you couldn't afford as many things, but... So that that purification of working in con- and with other people and with a whole congregation, and it's not just dependent on the, the devotion of the pajari. It, it, you know, hopefully the pajari has devotion. There's even part of when you're doing an offering, you pour some water and say some mantras in case there's any impurities or in anything improper. In the, in the mind of the cook or the mind of the pajari, asking Krishna to overlook it. So it's a different situation. Mm-hmm. Yes, thank you. It's, it's clear. Um, and Maharaj, you said that, um, you know, for the installation of, or I don't know what you call it, the installation of the Pantatattva deities, you already said what was needed for that. Can you just repeat quickly what you said? Well, for Panchatattva deities, uh, Panchatattva painting or Gornitai deities are considered to be installed. Simply you hang the painting on the wall and it's a deity. Mm-hmm. Uh, you put, take, take out Panchatattva and put them on a shelf, they're deities. Mm-hmm. They're, 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 because, because it's the simplest installation. What, what an installation means is basically it's, it's a kind of a contract. 
there's agreement between Krishna and the devotees. And, and the contract is that Krishna says, I'll be, for, I'll be here for you in this way, and the devotee says, I'll take care of you in this way. And so there's, there, 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 there's an agreement established. Uh, and the temple devotees, especially by installing them, by installing them, they and you have, you have agreed to a certain standard with these devotees. And Prabhupada gave, gave, one time when Prabhupada came to, to the Krishna Balaram temple, he noticed that some of the deities were wearing uh, garlands with dead flowers in them, and he gave this really heavy lecture where he, he says, I, he said, he, he, I see this, he says, if there's dead flowers on the deities, it means you think they don't know they're dead flowers, they're, so you think that they're stone or wood. Mm-hmm. This means there's no love. Mm-hmm. If there's love for the deity, you understand the deity is Krishna and you will use fresh flowers. You know, mm-hmm. he doesn't know. It's just a statue. He says... And then he said, I wonder if this, is, if this is happening now in my presence, what will happen after I'm gone? Mm-hmm. Is it Vigraha, he said, which is the name of the de- deity, you know, the, is it Vigraha or Galagraha? The word Galagraha means choked, you know, choking the neck. Mm-hmm. He says, mm-hmm. and you don't think, oh, my spiritual master has left me. He, he's gone and now he's left me with his heavy burden. I have to take care of the deities. Oh, what a lot of trouble this is and so on. That's Galagraha. Is it Vigraha, he said, or Galagraha? If it's Galagraha, there won't be any reciprocation from the Lord because you'll be treating him like a, a statue and he'll be a statue. He won't manifest himself. So it's a, it's a question of a reciprocation. And when deities are installed, there's a promise and there's an ag- agreement made. With Pansatattva, it's very easy to install them, and the, and the agreement is, 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 is pretty easy to fulfill, to do. And it's understood that, 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 that that's the one for these circumstances, because he's very, very merciful. Yeah, so, so what, the, what the devotee um, promises to do, it doesn't matter to the Pansatattva what the promise is as long as it's kept, right? Yeah. yeah, but you don't have to make any promise. You, you say, I'm going to sit and chant one round in front of you. You can make a promise, but if you make a promise, be sure you're going to keep it. With Panchatapa, you don't make any promises. That's okay. He's still there. Mm. But, but you know, we always make spiritual progress by making a vow and keeping it. No, I say promise because you said that Installing the Panchatava means you do make a contract, you know. So contract sounds like promise, right? Well, yeah, the, the, the installation is there that there's going to be some. All it means is that once a day you have to bow down before him. Mm-hmm. One, one time a day you bow down and say, you know, Sri Chaitanya Mano, you know, Sri Krishna Chaitanya Nityananda Sahodido Gadodaye Pushpavanto Chitrosham Dantamonido. Some prayer. Or just please, Lord Chaitanya, in English, give me your mercy, even if you don't know Sanskrit. Something like that. Mm-hmm. Just some respect and some honor. Mm-hmm. And they'll be there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And just by putting them up, if you're not, if you're not just doing it because you're, you know, 
collecting museum pieces or something, there'll be something there. If you're not I mean, I, I, you've probably heard me tell the story about how I had a Balaram deity on my shelf for several years and didn't know who he was. He was just an artifact I found in an import store and I kept him up there. Mm-hmm. And then one day, early after I had met Krishna devotees and started going to the temple, suddenly there appeared that they had just had a, 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 a big Panchatattva painting on their altar, which was a bay window. And one day I go to the temple and they have a shelf now above the Panchatattva and they have on the shelf uh, maybe, you know, less than a foot high deities of, of, of Jagannath and Balaram. And I looked and I saw I had the same guy at home and I didn't know who it was. It was Balaram. You know, so th- there, there I had him, a deity whom I didn't know. He was just, I didn't know who he was. I was just fascinated by him. I really liked him. And so I said to the, the temple president, what do I do? I have him at home. He said, worship him. But he was already there. So, so I took him down off the shelf, the shelf, dusted him off. I noticed the, the two black dots of paint that formed the pupil of his eyes and flaked off. And I realized, and instantly I knew he had shut his eyes because he didn't want to look at my sinful activities. <laughs> I got a magic marker, and I opened his eyes again. I moved him to another room, put him on a little thing, and I used to ch- and by then I, was ch- I used to chant in front of him and offer him incense. So he was there. He's still he's still in my office now, you know. So I still have him. So that you know, some, that's a deity. That's how he. Don't ask me how it happened, but that's what happened. And 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 I was afraid when I told the temple president that I had him. He would say, "You can't have him." But he didn't. He said, "Worship him." So so I did. So, I, you know, once I started chanting Hare Krishna, he sort of made himself known to me, and then, you know, we had a reciprocal relationship. And then later we started cooking, we offered food to him and so on. But, you know, at first I just sat down and chanted in front of him for an hour or so a day. But when you saw him at, at the temple, were you already chanting in front of the one at home? No. No. Yeah. No, no, I wasn't. Mm-hmm. I didn't. Uh, when I was first going to the temple, all they had was a Panchatattva p- picture. Mm-hmm. I had Balaram at home, and I had no idea who he was. Mm-hmm. I didn't know it was from India. I didn't know it was an object of worship. And then that one day, imitating the early San Francisco temple where they had a, 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 a and they didn't have Subhadra. They just happened to have you know sort of uh, sort of I don't know eight inch high. Or nine inch high Balaram and, and Krishna and I was just in the kirtan looking around suddenly I noticed the shelf and there he was the same guy <laughs> and I was looking for a sign you know some something to show me I was doing the right thing it wasn't oh. subtle oh that's the same guy that I had at home and then I was kind of thunderstruck by the whole thing you know yeah mm-hmm. And there was just, I was just sitting over in an import house somewhere in, in Portland, Oregon, and I found this big box, card, this carton, you know, cardboard box, and there were these little figures, and some were white, and some were black, and some were yellow. And I picked them up, and I said, wow, these are really amazing. They look like childlike and wise at the same time. I expect, why are they these three colors? 
I looked at the price tag. I didn't have I had one one for only one, and I went through some process and took bought around home with me. That's what happened. And that was, that was important. Before I even seen devotees. That was in Portland, Oregon. Yes. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, I thought so too. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean yes, because I'm thinking of my sister right now. That's really amazing. Oh. So you were actually looking through a lot of juggernaut deities, but didn't know it. I didn't know what they were. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I didn't know what they were. I just thought they were amazing. I would have gotten all three if I had but I only had money for one. I and took them home and I put them on my desk. I was my, you know, I just figured out my second year of religious studies and stood up there for a year or so more and then I ran into devotees and, and you said, who was selling them in this box? Who was selling them? I think it was an early Pier 1. What, what happened, if you want to know the whole story, uh, after my first year, Sadhavani and I went to Oregon because that's where her family lived, in Salem, Oregon. Uh-huh. And, I, and we spent the summer, uh, you know, they, they wanted to see their, 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 their grandchild, and, and, uh, and I had to work. And so I worked in a tin can factory for the American Can Company, at the end of the line of tin can production, this hell, hellish job. Mm. And I had a Hinduism course, and I was trying to practice karma yoga. According to the Mayavad philosophy, I did karma yoga. Anyway, to make a long story short, at the end of the summer, we all went up to Portland, Oregon, where this new big import house opened, had just opened, and people wanted to, to look around and buy things. And I had a little money left, and... and, and uh, and uh, it may have been a Pier 1 or something. It was kind of a big warehouse import place. Uh, there was a novelty. And, and that's, that's where, at the end of the summer, I, I, I got Lord Bonneron. That's what happened. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Oh, a few more questions coming in over the over the the stream. Oh, thank you so much, Maharaj. Thank you. Okay, hi, Krishna. And thank you, Mother Sudamani. Thank you very much. Okay, she's a, she wasn't on the line again. Um, there's also Janama and Ramana Gosa questions. Go ahead, Sudamani. Um, yeah, just people like to know one thing is. Um, Panchatapa and Gurnitai do not accept offenses. Even if you're offensive, they just will not accept them. That's how merciful. Mm. So that's thank good, you, good to know. That's good to know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, thank you. And, and Lord Jagannath will accept offenses up to 85%. <laughs> and Radha Krishna will accept them up to 100%. And if you were worshiping any of those deities in the deity room, the offense goes to the highest deity. In other words, you can't go into the like the Philadelphia deity room and you say, "Well, I'm just taking care of Gornitai. I don't have anything to do with Jagannath and Radhakrishna, so you know they won't accept offenses." If you're worshiping Gornitai in the in the uh, in the deity room, then uh, it's a hundred percent offenses because their Radhakrishna are are there. So. Um, these are just numbers that were kind of given no, to wait, us early, I don't early, I don't early, early, early in the early in the deity worship when we were just learning all about deity worship. In other words, Panchatapa and Gurnitai 
if, even if you're horrible and you're offensive, they will not take offense. Take offense, they, right. They don't take offense. They and will not take Krishna, offense. They, will take, they do take all offenses. Up to yeah. 100% of them, yeah. In it's other words, they will be offended. Offense is a disease. It's called Veva Aparad. It's a form of offense. So when you are worshipping deities in the temple like we have, you're supposed to be very, very careful to avoid offenses. And after you finish worshipping, there's mantras you say to try to like apologize for them and regret them because you don't know what you've done. And there's a list. If you want to see the list, then you should... <laughs> we have it. It's in our books. And then at a certain point also... Um, in the Bhagavatam, um, it says that in the Kali Yuga, it's impossible to worship the deities without making offense. But where there is the sincere chanting of the Hare Krishna Maha Mantra, then Krishna will forgive. But still, just like there's ten offenses against the Holy Name, there are also offenses in the worship of the deity. But that's why in Kali Yuga, especially Panchatapa is the authorized deity because he doesn't, he won't take offense, even if you are offensive. Mm. So um, that's very nice. Yeah, very nice. Yeah, that's a really <laughs> crucial point. I'm, glad, I'm really glad you said that because that's that's really the reason that Panchatapa can be or, or Gornitai can be distributed li- liter- liberally uh, and worshipped quite liberally as a deity. Yeah, mm. that's a very important point. Yeah, and, and I mean it's just like. You can chant Hare Krishna anywhere, and, and that's fine. When you get a little more serious, maybe you'll be a little more, you know, with Gornitai or Panchatapa, you'll have a more respectful attitude or whatever. But he, but he doesn't take offense. He, he doesn't accept them. So that's, it's so merciful. It's so wonderful. Yeah, thank you. Thank what you. else, Rada? More things coming up? You stream? Janava, I have a question on the phone. Janava? Hare Krishna, through Prabhu. Please accept my humble obeisances. Where is the Shilla Prabhupada? In the same way as we're talking about the deities, often devotees will find themselves in different churches or Hindu temples, uh, perhaps because of other workshops that our gurus are running and using the facility or because of interfaith. So what is the proper way for us to, as devotees to worship the deities once we arrive in the temples? Do we worship the deities, we, we, the, um, deities as we worship in our own temples when we greet them? And then with the demigods or um, you know, the saints, uh, treat them respectfully? Um, so I would like to hear from you. What is the proper way for us to honor them as we enter these other facilities? Do we, you know, maybe you when, can respond when, uh, when, when, it, when it's a, a, a Hindu temple yes, and there's Ganesh or Durga, I, I myself bow down and offer dandavats, mm-hmm. and offer obeisances, and I pray to them as great devotees of Krishna. Mm-hmm. I don't see them as the same as Krishna or equal to Krishna, but they're great devotees and they shouldn't be disrespected. Mm-hmm. Uh, similarly, with uh, Jesus Christ, uh, uh, there, you know, uh, if it's a Catholic church, you can genuflect. 
Protestant churches, you just shuffle on. There's no deities there. But the places like the Catholic Church, Christian Church, would have deities. I'd respect them. Mm-hmm. And uh, when it comes to some anybody, of most saints, I guess you can take it on their authority. They're saints. I'm never quite sure about them, but but uh, yeah. So ones that I really know are shade saints. That's fine, but. Right. So just to make sure I understand, when we come into, like some of the Hindu temples nowadays, um, they seem to have uh, deities of everyone, just to keep everyone mm-hmm. happy is, is what I'm understanding. But we recognize Sita Ram, Lakshman Hanuman. We recognize Radha Krishna. Um, Jagannath, Baladev, Subhadra are in this particular Hindu temple I'm thinking of. So would we... When, when we were there as devotees, I offered my obeisances, but I was thinking of them the same way I would think of Radha Krishna in our temple because it's coming from my perspective and I see you know, that they're Radha Krishna or Sita Ram. And when it came to the demigods, I was thinking the same way like the saints, respectfully. So is, mm-hmm. is, that, is that proper to see Radha Krishna the same way we would see Radha Krishna in our home or at our temple, the, the uh, ISKCON temples. I mean, just because we're there for a few minutes or we're offering obeisances, we're not... Yeah, I, 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 would, I would offer obeisances to them and pray to them. The same uh, way. I, 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 I can't say that they're, you know, that, that they're there and, and that their worship is offensive or not. I mean, mm-hmm. I, you know, this is, yeah. yeah, but I, I would. Why, why, why not? So it depends on our consciousness, in other words. Yeah, I think so. Sure. Thank you. You're welcome. What else? Shrata? Ramananda has another question. Hare Krishna. Please forgive me for asking another question, but just really quick. Um, There is a a wonderful uh, seminar series that you gave like years ago. It's on uh, Iskand Desire Tree about Mayava philosophy. Um, I don't know if you remember this or not, but uh, somebody brought up and you confirmed that uh, the Archa, uh, Morti, the uh, Archa avatar, is uh, considered to be Saguna Brahman, and uh, of course, uh, Saguna means generally means uh, material qualities. So, can you? Say that uh, when the deity is referred to as Aguna Brahman, it's uh, Krishna made of material elements. Um, well, I, I think Aguna Brahman is just another way of saying the personal feature of the Lord, uh, because uh, Saguna is another way of saying Savishesha. But sometimes the deity is, 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 is referred to as Saguna Brahman. Maybe that, that, that's referring to a deity as, as that particular manifestation. That, that means that the spiritual qualities are manifested through the material qualities, but they're not material. It is the deity of Krishna that is no longer considered to be material qualities. So that, that, that the, the deity's body is, even though it seems to be made of stone or wood, those are considered to be completely spiritual quality spiritual qualities but sometimes uh, saguna brahman as i can as i as i remember i haven't even thought of that term for a long time 
is it can refer just to the the spirit, the the, the personal form of the Lord. The guna is not a material quality, but a transcendental quality. Okay. Yeah. But sometimes, but sometimes the the sometimes in some philosophies either Sagruna Brahman as the uh, sometimes they say in the Mayavadis they they think of the living entity the the material world as Brahman with material qualities. So so but but Prabhupada in one place he said I'm just looking at that Sagruna Brahman means the living entities it doesn't mean God. Uh, uh, so, w- w- if you talk about Sadhguna Brahman, that is the the the, uh, the that's, is is the uh, as having Brahman as seeming to have material qualities. That would be the living entities, whereas Krishna himself is Nirguna Brahman. This is the way Prabhupada seems to use it here. And that, but he's, he's criticizing here the Mayavad use of, of this term, Sarvini Brahman. And therefore, the, 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 the material world is, is, is itself Brahman with material qualities. Yeah, and I can't remember how, how it was used in that, that in seminar a while ago. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe on the safe side, not to refer to the deity as Guna Brahman. Yeah, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't refer to the deity as Guna Brahman. Just the, the deity. And Prabhupada, I know what I'm looking at right now. See, Prabhupada just seems to say it, talk about the living entity as Guna Brahman. Uh, And that's the term that more or less peers up to, is uh, in Sankhya or Mayavad philosophy. Okay. Sure. Thank you. Yeah, I know it was many years ago you gave the, uh, the yeah, seminar, so it would be difficult to remember years and years ago how that was being yeah. used. Okay, I'm glad I asked that. Thank you. Okay, thank you. Anything else? Okay, so then we'll rejoin in one week. What date will that be? That's um, hmm? 10th of November. We will continue with text number 10. So it will be double 10 days. Okay. Thank you very much to the Prabhupada Ki Jai, Shrimad Bhagavatam Ki Jai.